Welcome, Disciple Makers, and thank you for joining us. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board Discipleship Team, led by Scott Sullivan, exists to help churches take the next step toward becoming a healthy, disciple-making church. We've developed tools to help you, like the Watershed Principle, which identifies six main ministries needed to be a healthy church. The Spark Conference, a total church strengthening event that allows you to access keynotes and breakouts all year long for ongoing training in your ministry area. This year's conference features keynote speakers Fred Luter, Michael Catt, Todd Bolsinger, and Robbie Gallaty, as well as online and in-person regional events. Learn more at www.thesparkconference.com. We also have learning communities across Georgia to sharpen, encourage, and resource leaders personally and professionally. Find a community near you at gabaptist.org discipleship. Don't forget you can find our previous episodes on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and your favorite podcast platform. Now let's join today's broadcast or podcast. Hello, my friends, and welcome to Georgia Baptist Discipleship. And thank you for joining us uh, today. And if you happen to miss this on Facebook, no worries. You can also join us later on YouTube, Instagram, and all podcast platforms. Now, today I'm honored to have two of the best leaders around and best problem solvers that I know of, Dr. P.J. Dunn, our discipleship consultant here in the northern regions in Georgia, is on. He's also the president of Table for One Ministries with a passion for discipling young adults and one of the most multi-tooled leaders I know and one of my most trusted friends. PJ is proficient in discipleship, singles ministry expert, the go-to guy on our team regarding technology and social media, and he knows more ways to cook and eat macaroni and cheese than anyone <laughs> ever. And we also have Dr. Leo Endel with us. Uh, for decades, Dr. Endel has been helping churches to plan well. He's the executive director there at the Minnesota-Wisconsin Baptist Convention in Rochester, Minnesota. Also, Leo serves as the pastor at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Madison, Wisconsin, and he genuinely has a heart to help small churches, medium-sized churches, to be strategic planners in their missional impact. Now, Leo, I got to say, you also have one of the best fishing stories I've ever heard of. Can you jump into that for a moment? Go ahead and incriminate yourself. Yes, I have two actually, but the favorite one is, is the, the story about growing up a little bit in Alaska. The 10 year old boys would grab their poles and we'd go out and go fishing. We'd follow a creek on up and we were usually catching northern pike or sometimes grayling, which is a little bit like a, like a rainbow trout. Mm -hmm. We're following this stream up, and all of a sudden, we're catching fish every time we cast. I mean, we're reeling them in. We're so excited. We've never seen anything quite like this. And so uh, one of the guys had a, a backpack with his Boy Scout frying pan in it, and so we started <laughs> a fire, cleaned some fish. We're, we're about to just really dive in and enjoy this when all of a sudden, this guy comes flying in in a, in a pickup truck starts screaming at us. It, it's, a, it's a game warden. And we found out that somebody had knocked over the sign and we'd walked into a fish hatchery. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, that's a great place to catch fish. Hey, it was a great day. <laughs> yeah. There's probably some sort of spiritual lesson that we could yeah. draw yeah. from well, that. You know, he, he, he let us off, obviously. Who would be stupid enough to start a fire and cook them right next to the fish hatchery? <laughs> there you go. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome. Leo, thanks for joining our Georgia Baptist Discipleship family here, here in these discussions. We're excited to have you on. And I also want to remind our audience 
that we've got a just a stack of resources that we want to give away. So make sure that you leave a comment in the chat. And if you'll share that link, you'll get double entry into today's giveaway. And you just may end up in Dr. PJ Dunn's new cooking show entitled Mac and Cheese and Me. So uh, make sure that you also share this link. All right, PJ, jump in for us, brother. Yeah, a few people don't know this, but you know, it is manna from God. So like, I'm just trying to be biblical on, on the food groups that I get. And also people don't know, uh, but now they do that, you know, Leo got the name of his book from that story. So where do we go from here? You know, when a game warden comes in and you're in a hatchery and you're just having the best time of your life, what do you do? And so that's the compass. That's like his that. hand from the forest where he was lost. Many people don't know this. It's great. And so uh, you can use that going forward. So we, um, man, we're just excited to have you on. Man, I've met, I met Leo a couple of times over the last year and a half and um, just a very humble guy. We're just so excited to have him on today because uh, we really want to speak to the heart of uh, smaller church pastors, because we know that that's two-thirds of our pastors here in Georgia um, literally could buy this book and say, you know, how do we do strategic planning for our church? And you can go on Amazon, you can buy that, and it's a great resource because it's targeted at that. So here's here's some understanding the obstacles. So let's just get them out in the open, right? And so obstacles that keep your church from planting. We're doing fine. Now, you know, as we travel across Georgia and we meet pastors, several of our consultants hear this. Yeah, we're doing fine. You know, and then we about an hour into it, you find out what's not going fine, you know, or maybe there's something you need to pray for them about. But but their default is things are going pretty good. Like we have church every Sunday and Sunday night, Wednesday night. We don't need to do that. Then you have guys that say, I don't have enough time. So we'll meet guys and and they're just I mean, they, they, there's 24 hours in a day, but they needed 28 and they're still begging God for the other four. Like they just cannot find enough time in the day. They're stressed out you know, their, their hair's on fire. They don't even have it anymore. You know, that's what happened to Scott. That's, that's not, that's the, another side fact there. Right. But we just don't have enough time. So that's, that's the second one. A couple more here, right? We've been there, we've done that and it didn't work. And, and so I'm, I'm 39. And as I've gone and served in ministry for the last 15 years, I hear this one quite a bit, Leo, I'll, you know, I'll come up with an idea and it's like, well, son, uh, let me tell you about when we used to do that. Or let me tell you about when we did that once before. And so when we talk about planning, it's like, yeah, we had that meeting one time and, and you would say, okay, when was that meeting? It was about eight years ago, nine years ago. Nobody on staff is still here from that meeting except for me, but but we did have a strategic meeting one time and we got excited about it, right? And so you find people, but that didn't work. And so shocker that it happened one time, right? And it didn't work. But I mean, ministry is hard and it gets busy and life gets out of hand. And before you know it, five years passes by. So pastors that are watching now, tag somebody, tag a friend, just, you know, if that's something that resonates with you, you can do that. Now, here, how about this one? Fear and conflict. So if I make a strategy... And then I and then I go for it. I'm worried about what the consequences of that could be because I'm not sure what's going to happen. I'm going to upset the apple cart. What if I'm go work on this bylaws thing? You know, that's like a taboo. We don't want to talk about bylaws, right? It's like Bruno for those of you that that get that reference. <laughs> and so we don't want to talk about those bylaws because so fear and conflict and planning could 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 do a couple of those. And then the last last one, and then we're going to have um, uh, Leo kind of break these down for us, but not operating in a way that recognizes barriers to growth on church attendance. So sometimes we'll say things like, I'm only 75 people, or I'm 30 people, or I'm 125, or I'm 200. You know, all of us that are on this broadcast today, we've heard leaders uh, categorize themselves and almost put a cap 
right? Like I, I know that I can't grow over a hundred without it being X or that I got to get another staff person. And certainly there are some of those, but sometimes we just automatically say, we're not going to grow bigger than that. Um, and we do that. So Leo, I, I just want to know um, how do these obstacles relate to the life cycle of a church? You know, break down some of those for us. Tell us a little bit about the book and, and just how does that relate to the life cycle of a church? Well, one of the biggest things I find is most churches, particularly most smaller churches, don't do any planning really at all. Uh, they basically maybe have a calendar meeting on an occasion or they've got a group that kind of watches the calendar. But they're living on what I call a seven-day cycle. It's just Sunday to Sunday. We do the exact same thing year after year. We might have a vacation Bible school that's in the plan that it always falls at the same time. We might even have a Christmas program or whatever it might be that, that has been a part of our cycle. But we're not ever stopping to look at the effectiveness of any of this or if we could be doing anything differently. Mm -hmm. And the obstacles that you mentioned... Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be any one of them. It's usually just the, the fact that it's just easier to keep on the merry-go-round. And anything that would upset the merry-go-round, uh, it tends to be problematic for us. I, I've even known guys that have, have actually said to me, if my church grew, I would have to decide whether I was going to be bivocational or I would have to become a full-time pastor and I don't want to make that decision. So there's oh, yeah. a variety of mm. things that, that happen that keep us from planning. Uh, and, and one of them that, that uh, I didn't write in the book, but is, is, is often there as well, is, is just the, the, the concept of somehow thinking that biblically wise, we don't need to plan. God will just bring this stuff mysteriously to us. Well, the rationale in, in the Word of God is, is there are many places that talk about planning in the Bible. Uh, you know, I, I'm preaching right now through the book of Luke, and you have two examples right there. You know, you got a tower being built and having to plan for it, or going to war and having to put a plan together for it. The Proverbs are full of the, the principles of, of planning. But one of the things that, that often happens is people just default to the easiest route. They never intentionally do anything that would change what they're actually doing right now. And uh, I, I have personally found that the place to begin with most Baptist churches is to look at the biblical model for the church. And when you look at what used to be called when I was a kid growing up, uh, the New Testament church, we want to be a New Testament church. Well, what is a New Testament church? Uh, if you go to the Bible and you look at Acts chapter 2, you get a snapshot of the New Testament church right after Pentecost. And most Baptists, they, they have agreed in principle that they want to be a New Testament church. And so when we look at it biblically and we ask ourselves the question, are we a biblical church and how are we doing in those areas of a biblical church as represented in Scripture? I find people respond to that. Suddenly they become intensely interested. Okay, so what is the purpose of the church? Or as I would prefer to say, what are the functions of the church? And how are we doing that? And how might we do that differently? And I find many times that overcomes the obstacles because they're, they're intensely interested in trying to align their church with Scripture. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So, so the, you know, the, the idea of like getting people to the point of wanting to change, right. To do some strategic planning. The two things that came to mind when you were talking was, you know, Carl Vader's does a lot um, in the small church 
uh, role. We see a lot of guys, even in Georgia, that have you know picked up his book and gone to some of his conferences because he's just doing a great job yeah. with that. But we also have an associational missionary, Hans Wunsch, Wunsch who does uh, Wunsch Time and uh, <laughs> one of the only bivocational pastor podcasts um, in the country. And so both of those guys are trying to help people get to the point of change. Yeah. You know, we want to process ideas. So so how do you address that? You know, how, how do you get somebody to the point of, okay, we're going to do strategic planning. We're going to actually plan ahead now. How do, how do you get them to that point where they change? Well, I, I think as I, as I mentioned, looking scripturally is, is one of the key parts of that. But the other thing I found, and I've had this happen just two weeks ago, I had this happen. I was preaching in a church. I won't tell you where. And uh, they had, their pastor had retired and they, they were putting a transition team together and they'd asked me to meet with their their transition team afterwards. And uh, I thought we were going to talk traditional transitional models, that kind of thing. They weren't really interested in, in that. They'd made some determinations on that already. But the questions they asked me uh, were, were somewhat obvious after preaching at church. This is a church that had been at a much higher level of impact in their community. Now they had a brand new building and their impact in the community had dropped off to almost nothing, and their attendance had dropped as well. And so one of the tools that I frequently use in an environment like that is I'll just draw on, on a, a whiteboard the life cycle of the church, you know, from birth to adolescence to maturity and, and then midlife crisis and decline and old age and then death. And I'll just draw this out on, on the board, and I will just ask them, so where are you on this life cycle curve? I never tell them what I think. Mm. I just ask them, where are you on this life cycle curve? And I, I've asked this question scores of times, and they are more honest than I would have had the guts to be in that kind of, in that kind of environment. And so this church did that. I mean, they marked themselves far on the, on the end of the life cycle curve at the old age. And I, and I explained at this point, if a typical life cycle of a church is as we've drawn it, whatever span of years, you know, I think Dale originally said 17. I think that's, uh, that's too short. I, 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 uh, I, I think it, a lot, most churches will find a second life cycle someplace in the midst, and it'll give them new life. Uh, but whatever that number is, as I explained to them, that to continue to decline down the life cycle curve means change. Or you can intentionally cause change that will lead to a second life cycle curve. That's usually an eye-opening experience for most of them, because regardless of where they're at, there is going to be change. Why mm. don't we choose the possibility of life rather than watch it slide down? And mm, I find good. that's kind of the hook that catches the majority of the churches. Their own coming coming to Jesus moment is when they see where they put themselves on the life cycle curve. And now all of a sudden they realize the seriousness of the situation. Mm -hmm. And many times I'll engage people at that point by saying that, that really you are now the stewards of this church's future. And that's always true. But you're now the stewards of this church's future. Will you do what's necessary to find a new life cycle curve, or will you continue the change that you're you're going through right now that will ultimately lead to death? That's great. And yeah, that, I let that, that sink great. in, and people respond. That's strong. And Dr. Endo, 
you know, I served a, about 20 years, almost 20 years in that smaller church. And then the last 10 years, that small church grew to be a large church. So I, I have a little bit of perspective there. And one thing that I had to change in my thinking when I was in that smaller church is I tended to look at my situation and make statements rather than asking questions. Yeah. And I had to learn that, that where I was, instead of just attacking it and making a statement and, and a judgment about it, that I had to adopt this mindset of being a lifetime learner, that I didn't know everything I needed to know, and that I had to continue to ask questions, learn. It's like the idea of, of saying, you know, we tried that and it'll never work, and asking the question, how could this work in my context? Yes. And when I changed thinking that way, I started problem solving at a whole nother level because I began finding things out that previously I didn't know were, were possible because I'd already made a quick judgment about my situation. So thanks for sharing that. That's uh, really strong. Now I want to drag a highlighter uh, over something and, and, and let's talk about understanding what it means to plan. And I want to be careful because if we're not intentional about what we do and how we attack this, we can focus more on the mechanics of planning rather, and we can fail to trust in the one who provides the power in planning. So um, as leaders, we know the planning part is important, but I want us to be practical for just a moment. Sure. Give us a few ideas on, on how a person can effectively lead a planning meeting, uh, whether they have a staff or not. It may be a, a room full of lay volunteers, but how can, what are some nuggets that people could take away on how to lead a planning meeting? Well, I think, first of all, it starts with extensive prayer. And uh, it starts in the leader themselves to begin praying for this event, drawing others into praying for an event like this. Uh, it, it gets a, a little personal, a little different in every situation, depending upon what the leadership structure of a church looks like. You know, we, we typically, as Southern Baptists, 40 years ago, we pretty well looked the same uh, by size levels of our churches. That is no longer the case. And so who is the leadership group? Uh, is the pastor the leader? Or as they used to say, is there a matriarch or a patriarch in the church that is more of a leader or has the credibility? Those are some of the questions that have, have to be asked. And uh, usually I don't, I don't recommend that you try to address those things up front at this point. My intentionality is let's, let's get some momentum moving in the right direction then we can address some of those underlying changes that may need to take place or be clarified. And so as a pastor coming in, one of the, one of the things that, that when I have led these in my own churches is I'll begin, I'll begin to think in my mind about who needs to be in this leadership group. And it's been different depending upon what church. Right now, uh, we have elders at our church. And so we have elders and other key leaders that come together for this meeting. In the past, I had, I had myself as the pastor and the deacons that were in, in, a, in a much smaller setting where we did this kind of meeting. In another situation, we had what I called a, a church ministry team, which was an empowered church council that actually led through this. It depends upon the setting. Uh, what I try to do is do what's closest to what they're already doing, because I don't want to make the process a problem. Mm -hmm. uh, I want us to have, have a win, and then later on, we can work out some of the kinks in, the, in this process. So, so uh, it takes, generally speaking, the way I primarily wrote the book is for a pastor to gain a sense of we're not going anywhere. 
and how do we get forward? Now, that's not, I wouldn't verbalize it that way to the congregation. Yeah. But a pastor who catches that can read a book like this. It literally takes three and a half hours to read this book and go lead this meeting. The details are there that will help him be able to do this. Now, an outside uh, person coming in in some settings is a good thing. Uh, I get frequently asked to lead these meetings in churches where I know the pastor is perfectly capable of doing it, but he wants to be a participant rather than the leader. And so it depends upon a lot of variants that are there, but at its simplest, a pastor would just take this book, work with the structure that he's got, uh, put a great deal of prayer into, into the process and invite his church into the process and then lead this meeting, not manipulate the people to get to where he wants them to go, but lead this meeting, let the spirit of God speak. And I, I, I can't tell you over and over and over again, I've met with, with groups where people say, this, this is not going to work here. Our, our people are, are so uh, conflicted. They see things so differently. This is not going to work here. But I'm telling you, when you give them all a voice and you're mm. following the principles of the Bible and you're evaluating yourself against scripture, it is amazing what God does. And then it's not a pastor imposing his will and his direction on a congregation. They've reached this together. And so it overcomes much of the problem that deals with change because the people in the room are key leaders in the church. Mm. And when they get to the end of the, of the planning process and they decide to implement one or two things together, they bought in. They will do the work to help this happen. It won't be the pastor having to do the work, which is frequently the case. So that, the, the process is just super simple. It's, it's a, it's a three-hour process in most churches. It can be a little bit bigger if the process grows to as many as 12 or 13 leaders uh, involved but never more than four hours to be able to go through this and come out with some wins uh, that you can even plan the beginning steps of those things that you want to do together and have, a, have an accountable track to be able to press forward. Dr. Endo, let me drill down just for a second. We can, we can be brief here, but I just want to probe your thoughts and maybe throw something out there that'll stir the hearts and minds of our leaders. So let me give you a, what, what I think is maybe a typical smaller, medium-sized church scenario right now. Okay. Backside of pandemic, things are difficult. Let's say you're a pastor. You're not bringing in the heavy hitter to run this whole show for you, but you want to lead your people through yeah. a strategic planning process. Who would you put on that team? Cause I've seen, I've heard conversations about, well, if it's going to be strategic planning and you're going to look 12 to 18 months, maybe as far as five years out kind of strategic planning, you want to have your highest capacity leaders. And then I've heard others talk about, well, you really need to have some age-specific folks on there so that you're getting a perspective from senior adult, median adult, young adult, and maybe even some of those older high school, uh, college age, so you're getting a broad perspective. So there's just lots of thoughts floating around. Could you maybe just get, speak from your perspective of what you have experienced? Well, obviously, the more diverse the team, the better off you're going to be. However... I'm not, I'm in the process that I put in place. I'm not looking for the perfect plan. I'm not looking for the kind of thing that Mancini would, would uh, try to design that a, a church of a thousand would implement. I'm not looking at a Malfur's kind of plan that, that is going to put uh, a thousand people to work. 
small churches aren't going to do those things. In fact, the first time I read Malfer's books, we were, at that point, I, I'd been in the church, we were, we were running 30 when I got there, we're running about 250. I'm trying to get a handle on, at this point, how it is that I need to implement some kind of planning process better than just a general church council process that we'd had in the past. I pick up Malfer's book, I read through his book, it's awesome, it's chock full of incredibly good stuff, but I about eight, page 80, I wrote in the margin, I don't know a single church of our size that would ever do this stuff, <laughs> it, because it would have taken a year to do that. Yeah. So I'm not looking for that kind of perfect plan that is going to get the perfect answer. I'm just trying to get a small church like mine to take the next steps forward in strength and address those, come back in another year, or as we ended up doing at the church that I pastor right now, six months later, come back and did it again to find the next steps. So I'm not thinking in the traditional way that I was trained to, to think when I was a, a business major in college and dealing with long-term plans and short-term plans and intermediate plans. All of that stuff works in the, in the real world when you're paying people and when you have clear lines of authority, and you can implement stuff. But in the church world, we're working with families and people that are volunteers. Mm -hmm. and, and the best way to involve them is to let them have a voice in the process and make it short enough that we can get some wins. Because after a pastor has led his church through a process like this and implements just one or two things, they may not even be big things by uh, what we might traditionally think. After he has a couple wins, guess what? They let him lead the next step in the next step because they begin to follow that leadership and they find out that God can be at work in their church to make them more like a New Testament church. My goodness, if y'all have not purchased this book, I mean, we've just given you a, a couple of dozen reasons of why to, right? But just knowing that you could pick something up and practically do this, you know, and I think yeah. of bivocational guy's name's Brad in Southwest Georgia. And I mean, you know, he's busy, right? He's, he's right. selling forklifts, right? He's a full-time, a full-time guy. And he's, and he's trying to be involved in the local church and just feels like it's gridlocked. So just to know that there's a tool out there that's for me and, and specifically tailored. And again, that's two thirds of our churches in Georgia. And so, um, man, what a, what a fantastic resource. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask a hard question to both of y'all. All right. So I've, I've been in the second chair my entire ministry. I've been volunteer my entire ministry and, and never been in that first chair as a senior pastor. So um, sometimes it can be hard to support a pastor um, and sometimes hard not to grow cynical. Can I, can I use that word? And everybody, mm -hmm. we still be friends um, because you want to pursue it and it may not be your pastor's passion. So there's going to be some people here that are not the pastor that are in that role, that second chair role even as a volunteer, right? Like all, almost all of our discipleship uh, lead people are all volunteers that are, that are watching. So Leo, I, to you first, and then I'll go to you, Scott, but just tell me, how do you, how do you not grow tired or cynical in that process of helping your pastor get there? Well, and certainly this is true in, in a lot of areas and pastors frequently, uh, we want to feel like we're fulfilling the biblical office of a pastor. And, it, and for me, I go to first Peter five and I see, when you have the same group of leaders that are called uh, pastor or elder or overseer, we as Baptists have called that same group typically the pastor. 
but I see in the function of those words the different roles of a pastor. And so an elder primarily I see as a leader. Uh, so a pastor is called to be a leader of the church. He's also called the chaplaincy or pastoral ministry in the church, and he's called to be an overseer of the ministry of the church. Uh, that's a pretty broad role. That's the reason why I see in, in, in the New Testament, usually it's not just a single pastor, even in a small church, but multiple people with gifts that are using this together. But I would, I would appeal to, to, a, to a senior pastor to say, this is a way to get a handle to be able to lead our congregation forward and to fulfill some of the vision that, that you already have as, a, as, a, as our senior pastor of our church. And uh, pastors generally, they want to find handles, especially one that they can explore in three hours is a pretty good one. And, and honestly, I, I'm sure as the author of the book, this is not completely true, but every skeptical pastor I've known that has actually read this has actually said to me, I can do this. And I said, yes, you can. And they've done it. And they've come out feeling like they took, they took some steps ahead. So if I were the second staff member, a volunteer leader, I'd, I'd get this book and I'd give it to our pastor. And it says, you know, I saw this on the Georgia Network. This is, this is a simple thing that I think will give us a tool that can step us forward and use and utilize your leadership to do that. I think most pastors, the book is small enough. They glance through and they'd see the simplicity of it and engage it, I think. Yeah, you just don't know what you don't know. That's and right. and, and, yeah. uh, and I see this with singles too, that sometimes that lay leader that comes to the pastor and says, hey, I have an idea, you know, and they let the, the leader lead, but they bring the idea to them. They're much more receptive than, see, I've been telling you for years that you should have done this and you ain't <laughs> doing it and throw it on their desk with a little note and it's all sassy. So um, Scott, I want to know, you know, how do you, you know, just how do you not become the negative Nancy, you know, in this whole thing when you want to help your pastor, but you just don't want to have that voice that sounds like you're nagging either. So what, what's your experience? Yeah, well, the first thing that I, I'll say when they come to me and, and have those questions, and I say, man, I thank you for that question and for inquiring. And I really appreciate you being the one to volunteer to start that ministry. <laughs> and, uh, and I seriously actually do that because do you and too. I know that as the pastor, he can't keep initiating ministries and be the mother and the uh, comptroller for that ministry. We really do need Very them. Um, but here's a, here's an idea that I learned that we seek to gain biblical plan of where we're going and what we're going to do with buy-in from our people rather than trying to achieve 100% of my plan. Yeah. I, I remember probably, I don't know if it was fully the first 10 years, but at least early in my ministry, man, I would pray and I would fast. I genuinely would seek the Lord. Hey, what are we going to do over the next six months, year, 18 months? You know, I was a planner trying to be strategic and I felt like God would give me a plan. So I would come into a, a meeting and just say, hey, here's where we're going, the storm hell with a water pistol. <laughs> and I just, can't, I just remember Folks, some would get on and others just kept asking a lot of questions and their questions came across to me as they didn't trust me. Well, I had to learn that God uses our people in our church to mold the vision that he's giving us. So just uh, figuring out a biblical plan that gets buy-in rather than just 100% my plan is the first thing. Uh, the second thing I would say, PJ, is um, I got to get comfortable with people's questions and allowing them to ask questions. And that's a culture problem. If the people in my church don't feel comfortable to come and sit down and say, I don't quite understand what you're saying, or this feels like if we do this, here's where we're going, right? And again, 
a lot of times we get defensive and we think they don't trust us, but we've got to create a culture where people can ask questions because here's what I found. If we don't allow them to ask questions, they're going to talk about it somewhere. They're going to simmer right. and they're going to talk and they're going to gossip. And then that's what you end up getting hijacked in a business meeting mm -hmm. and things going really badly. Yeah. Um, a third thing I would mention right here is uh, really just highlighting something that Dr. Endel has already talked about. So I won't beat this to death, but give them a voice and allow your people to journey with you in the growth process of your church. Because if we don't give them a voice, there's, you know, I guess what I've, I've learned is if, if you don't give them a voice, people stop learning how to talk. Yeah. In, in the, I just think it's a terrible model to create a church system where people don't have any vision and they're not being creative. And what ministries can we start, but we make a uh, a platform where they're fully dependent on the pastor. Well, then when that pastor leaves or dies, you're left with a people who can't do anything. That's right. Because they've depended on a pastor for so long and uh, just a terrible biblical model. Um, maybe, maybe that'll be helpful. PJ. Yeah. Well, I, I just, find, I, yeah, I find yeah. that, that honestly, however good I think I am, when the people speak into it, it gets a lot better. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. That is so true. I love conversation because you always get to another answer you didn't know you had. And, yep. and you got to be open to that. Um, and for all the realistic Randy's watching right now that ask all the questions, it's okay. Like we're going to get there. And, and I know what it's like to be that guy that asks those questions. But when you're in a safe environment, you're able to ask them. It always comes out better on the other side. You learn, they learn, and they can go together. So, I mean, really holding up the arms of your pastor, really saying that this is something that you can do. And I'm with you. You know, like, I'll, well, let's do the meeting. I'll read the book with you. You're, but you, but what you said earlier, Leo, about just how that pastor needs to buy in. Like, I could come in and do this for you, but that's not going to result in the same thing that you want. I need you to be the leader. I need you to be the one that champions this and leads the people. And, and uh, you know, this isn't a how to grow your church by 25% in six no. months. No. This is how to make your church healthier um, in just three hours with somebody. So, uh, so really, really, really like that. Okay. Scott. Hey, PJ, can I give you a quick example mm -hmm. of, of how this works? So I was implementing uh, the erupt ERUPT strategy in Halton. Uh, this was my doctoral project. So for three and a half years, prayer, study, dig in, coming up with this whole plan for 12 weeks, I led a strategic group of our people through development. Now, I knew where we were headed. I knew where I wanted them to go, but I needed them to arrive there with me, right? So we get all the way through this plan. I gather it all. I, I put together a presentation on the last night. So, okay, guys, here's where we have arrived based on our last 12 weeks. I was so excited about the RUP strategy, and I gave it to them. And the first question from one of my ladies was this. Scott, that sounds good, but where does my personal time with Jesus fit into your plan? And I was like, uh, <laughs> like we had talked about it and we knew that it was primary and it was priority, but I didn't give a voice to it. And I remember just thinking, I'm an idiot, you know, but what it allowed us to do is to put it in there. And you know what? That literally became the cornerstone for the entire erupt strategy yeah. that we implemented that was life change. And by the way, my goodness, this is what, 10 years later, that church is still in that process. I've been gone for three years and they are averaging more people now post pandemic than they were pre pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, well, uh, uh, Dr. Anna, let me ask you one final question and I'll have Scott wrap us up. So, um, how do we look at 
but get the history of where we've been and not making it like, oh, well, now we're just going to be better. Like there's a tendency in this conversation to be like, man, we stunk at it the last 50 years, but now we're going to be awesome. You know, and, 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 you know, when we're consulting, we try to celebrate history and just say, how do we throw gasoline on it? You know, we don't really want to say like you were doing it wrong and now you're going to do it right. And we just have this tendency to be polarizing when we're strategizing that we're finally going to do it right. So how do you do that? You know, how do you have that? How do you navigate that conversation? Well, the, the second step of the process, because I use an arrow to describe this linear fashion that we deal with it, is to look at our history. And no matter wherever church is at right now, there are amazing things that have happened in their past that they still remember and still celebrate. And many of those times I've found that there are, there are still resources in those areas that can be applied to the future. Now, the mission field has changed just a little bit. And sometimes we have to take into account that cultural changing, but the principles may still be the same. Mm. We just need to find the new leaders. We need to find new ways of doing similar things. So uh, we also find times that when we go through that process that we see somebody that should have been celebrated and wasn't celebrated. And so we'll extend that and bring that on out into the church, you know, that in the process of doing the planning, we recognize the, 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 the importance of this ministry that was a part of our church for many years. And I don't know that we ever finished that well or celebrated what God had done. So we do, we do a fair amount of that. The, the, the standpoint of, of overly assessing our failures doesn't usually seem to come out in the process because we're evaluating. And I do this in a kind of a, uh, uh, I, there's reasons why I do this. But no matter how many people are in the room, I'll ask them to evaluate us in worship, for instance. Give me a, a, a number between one and six, six being really strong, one being really weak. And then underneath that, I ask them to write on an index card that number, plus what they consider a strength in our area and a weakness in that area. I take all of those cards into to myself, and the pastor would do this, and I just read them. I don't, we don't comment on them. We don't dwell on them. We just read them as an assessment against the scripture. And so when we come to the, to the stage where we now are going to uh, recognize uh, uh, how we've done some sense of evaluation on what we've done in the past, and we move into a, a stage of brainstorming that, it just never seems that we make a direct connection. Uh, we've assessed ourselves. Now we started to talk about ideas but it's positive. It, it, it doesn't ever say we did it poorly in the past. It's positive because it says, how can we do these things better? Mm. And uh, so the board will just fill up with ideas, but it never goes negative. At least I've never had it go negative where somebody said, well, this is criticism. Now, surely, you know, there's a little bit of that tension in the room. If you're the worship leader participating in this process, and the worship isn't rated as highly as what you you wanted it to be. I, you know, most of the time, I believe in God's people and their capability to accept reality. Mm -hmm. And and it just, I have not had that be a problem. That's we good, pressed man. forward together. And generally, as ideas come out, uh, people embrace them uh, so that we can move to an evaluation phase to see, are these ideas a good fit? For the needs that we assessed and where we align up with the biblical church, I just have not run into a lot of negativity at that stage. 
That's uh, good. There's, a, there's a pushing through. Part of the beauty of this is when you do this in three hours, there's no time to get stuck. And, and so a pastor will get a sense of that. They know they got to move through. If you let this get too loose, I think that might become a problem. But because you're pressing forward in a process and you've already told them, I'm accountable to this, I'm going to do this in three hours, we're going to work this problem together for three hours, that doesn't give them enough time to get stuck anywhere. I like that. Yeah. 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 Intentionally positive and you're keeping yeah. to the schedule and it does keep people from going down that drain. That's you right. know, when one person makes a comment, you're keeping it positive. That's good. Yeah. And by and the time you, you get to the implementation stage where you're planning that, what I find is many times the person that this area fits in is actually excited about this new idea. They're yeah. not fighting it They're, because they were a part of fashioning it and developing it. Oh, yeah. And then, then you got the buy-in, you know, and I just had this conversation, Dr. Endel, with a, a senior adult who contacted me this weekend. And um, in that question, came out, you know, Scott, or, or, you know, as I look at everything that's happening, sometimes I feel like people are saying everything that we've done in my lifetime has been wrong. Yeah. And I, I had to reiterate to him, I said, listen, if, if your generation did anything well, it was with people like me to take the ball and move it forward. Yeah. And it's not that we did anything wrong, but are there steps we can, we can take to go forward? And I think it's just really important. And I, I also left that conversation, Dr. Endel, with this takeaway because he made a statement that that bothered me because he said Scott for the first time he said I'm 72 years old and for the first time in my life I'm in a, a phase I'm in an era where I really for the first time feel like I've got something to say like I've got wow. wisdom that I can share with the next generation but nobody's asking me wow. he said now that I'm a senior adult people have I feel like they put me out to pasture and, and I'm not valuable anymore, but he said, I'm for the first time, I got something to say and nobody's asking. So, <laughs> man, I just want to encourage our, our leaders. If you're listening today, man, one of the most valuable resources in your church is the wisdom. Um, sometimes doing things right. Sometimes they did things really wrong. And that's where the wisdom came from. But the wisdom of your senior adults, engage that, employ that and let it work for you and not against you. Any final thoughts, Leo or PJ? No, I, I say, you know, it comes down to, to prayerfully engaging the word of God and God takes you somewhere. It just, uh, it's awesome to see what God can do. Yeah. You hit what you aim for, right? So yeah. let's, let's, let's keep aiming for something and, and see if we can get there. Even if it's a little messy along the way or you stumble, um, you know, we, we, uh, we can fail, but we can't be mediocre. Right, Scott? Praise the Lord. <laughs> hey, Dr. Endel. Uh, some folks may have some questions with all yeah. this we brought up. A lot of times it brings up more questions than what they had before they got there. So how could, if somebody wanted to ask you a question, if they wanted to have you do some training or speak, how can folks get in touch with you the best? Well, in the, in the back of the book, my email address is laendel85 at gmail.com. Or they can email me here at the convention, which may be the easiest thing to do, which is just my last name, E-N-D-E-L at mwbc.org and uh, be glad to get back with them wonderful and uh and pj will will help us make sure we get all that into the chats and friends i hope that today's discussion encourages and sharpens you to make wise choices as a leader in your local church or association and remember there is a difference between wisdom and knowledge for example knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit 
Wisdom is knowing that you don't put it in a fruit salad. Amen. Well, we would, we would love to help you take your next steps in becoming wise as a disciple making leader in whatever your context looks like. So, um, just one of the things we've done in Georgia is we've created these learning communities and they're in all parts of the state. If you're interested in joining one of those and learning best practices and engaging professionally and personally, we're going to drop a link in the chat, click that, let us know. We'll get back to you as quick as we can. Leo Wendell, PJ Dunn, thanks for being awesome and sharing with us today. You're welcome. Thank you. Lana Melton, John Graham, thanks for producing. And I want to remind all our listeners that we're only able to do this because you give generously to the cooperative program. So thanks for that. And I pray that today's discussion with Leo Endel and PJ Dunn will equip and inspire you to disciple, make those who disciple others across the world. Thanks for listening. We want to continue the conversation from today's broadcast in a learning community near you. These learning communities are designed to celebrate your biggest wins, resource your greatest need, and help you finish well. We also want to give you a free gift, the five discipleship shifts most churches need to make to produce world-impacting disciple makers. You can download this resource by going to ministryboom.com. This five-page PDF is a discipleship alignment checklist. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board is able to provide resources like this because of gifts from Georgia Baptists to the cooperative program. For more information on this broadcast and a customized discipleship plan for your church, visit gabaptist.org discipleship. Engage with us on your time through Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and all podcast platforms. Lastly, if you've benefited from this conversation today, please share this with a friend as we seek to help churches make world-impacting disciple-makers.